Welcome to Digital Detectives, reports from the battlefront. We'll discuss computer forensics, electronic discovery, and information security issues and what's really happening in the trenches. Not theory, but practical information that you can use in your law practice, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 14th edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises. We'd like to take this time to thank our sponsor, Gallivan, Gallivan, and Omelia, creators of the Digital War Room platform for e-discovery. And I'm John Simic, vice president of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is, is it possible to secure law firm data? We're pleased to welcome as our guest, Matt Kessner, the CIO of Fenwick & West LLP, a West Coast law firm representing high-tech and biotech clients. Mr. Kessner is a frequent speaker on the topics of computer security, extranets, cloud computing, and mobile devices. In 2008, Matt was named by InfoWorld Magazine as one of the top 25 chief technology officers and by Computer World as one of their top 100 IT leaders. I've had the privilege of presenting with Matt at ABA Tech Show, and I'm glad that we can have him here today. Thanks for joining us, Matt. Thank you very much for inviting me, John. Matt, let's get started. How would you assess the current state of law firm information security in comparison to the rest of the business world? Well, I, I think that uh, you set me up a little by not telling me how you were going to to uh, word the topic, uh, asking whether it's possible to secure a law firm. Um, I think there are a lot of tensions at play in law firms that make it difficult to secure in sort of the traditional sense, as well as what a lot of us think of as the vanguard of uh, data security. Um, there's a tension between IT and the end users. Uh, I think that IT and law firms, from what I've seen, seems to be a little better organized and a little better funded than in a lot of corporations, frankly. But the end users in law firms, um, as, as we all know, um, are, are a little hard to tame. Um, they don't necessarily want to do what you ask them to do according to policies and procedures. Their personality is such that they do think they're very independent and they uh, they believe highly in their own autonomy. Um, and they tend to be pushed by what their clients want. So often that tension results in less security than we'd like. Um, there are also other tensions in law firms that we can get into later. There's a tension between security and knowledge management, for example. Um, more and more clients want law firms to be extremely efficient, and part of that is to use and reuse the knowledge they have. But as we've seen in a recent case involving insider trading, just looking at the names of documents and making that available to all of the lawyers in your, your firm can be uh, problematic. Matt, do you have any sense of how many firms may have been compromised and, and how those breaches might have happened? I'm sure that you and I scour the press for that, John, and, and Sharon, you probably have more information on that than I do. Um, if you believe the press, not too many law firms have been compromised, but I think that uh, as a business that's highly based on reputation, law firms are probably not the first that you'd expect to volunteer that information. I'm aware of a few um, that have happened outside of our firm, and I'm aware of a couple that happened at our firm. Um, and unfortunately, with the current state of security, one can never be entirely sure whether there have been hacking events or not. Um, the two that happened to us uh, illustrate one of my my favorite bromides um, in data security, which is um, learn the lessons and and try not to have to learn them a second time. 
um, I'm chagrined to say that our two events involved our outside website, and they were both uh, about eight years apart, and they both involved uh, SQL injection scripts that let someone take over our, our web server um, in the first instance and deface it with a lot of uh, characters in Chinese, um, and the IP address appeared to come from China, and that was uh, about 10 years ago. More recent one was last year where SQL injection scripts were used to inject uh, some Trojan horses into the server that served up that content. Um, in both cases, we were either lucky or good uh, in that our web server sits far away and has real, really no connection to our um, internal or external business networks. So the only devices compromised were you know, standalone web servers. But I think it's illustrative of, of uh, the fact that you need to check and recheck everything that you think you know. And plus, you always need to be more wary and learn more. Um, as for other law firms, um, I know of a few examples. I've been pledged to secrecy in each case. Uh, <laughs> but um, some of them have been, I wouldn't say business-threatening, um, in that they would have, you know, if the public put that law firm out of business, but they've been pretty significant. Um, most of the ones that I know have involved loss of data. Um, I know that that's a, a big mantra for you for you, Sharon, and you, John, um, talking to people about making sure that their their data on mobile devices is secure and that laptops are encrypted. But um, I'm aware of several instances involving other firms where unencrypted laptops with important data were lost. Um, I don't know whether those firms um, were working under notification laws at the time, but um, there was certainly no public announcement about it. Um, and that's, you know, illustrative of another rule that, that we all ought to abide by is when in doubt, encrypt it. Um, as for bigger data breaches at law firms, um, we understand that there have been attempts um, made public by some of the biggest firms in the world, but there isn't a lot of evidence that law firms have been hacked. But based on the trending information we have from corporations across America, I'm sure that it's happened a lot more often than we know about. Well, just to add a piece to that, uh, we did, as one of our podcasts here, we did uh, a session with Rob Lee, and he said, of, of Mandiant, which uh, does uh, data breach consulting and information security, and he said that uh, in the last year, approximately 10% of their workload involved law firms, which I found a very striking statistic. So that's that's one you can carry away, too. <laughs> no, that, that's a great point, and I did listen to uh, Rob's webcast with you, and although he's probably a little more pessimistic than me, he did point <laughs> out some some really good um, information. And uh, one takeaway from that podcast, and I've, I've confirmed it with a lot of my peers, is that law firms are seeing a lot more hacking attempts. Um, we know, looking at the logs on our various firewall devices and and gateway devices, that we're being probed more often. A lot more often, um, we're being tested, and various scripts are being run against us all the time. We're seeing a higher proportion of successful um, malware and phishing expeditions against our users. 
I think that in the last couple of years that law firms have become um, a known target to black hat hackers in a way that they probably weren't before. And that is of concern. Well, one of the things that I think people were most struck about when John had the pleasure of speaking with you at uh, ABA Tech Show this past year is China. And I noticed that the audience members were really struck by some of what you had to say about China, which seems to have become a huge source of concern. Why, why is China so interested in, in business espionage and hacking? I wish I knew the answer to that. <laughs> uh, You'd be in the State Department on that. <laughs> uh, maybe. Um, it, I just know... Um, about too many events in, involving China, and and frankly, you know, China is a great business opportunity, and Chinese companies are great business partners, and some of them are clients. So I don't mean to paint China with one one color. Um, it's a much bigger country with many more people than we here have here in the U.S. So there aren't generalities, but what we do know um, that that our governments told us is that. Pretty much every cell phone and smartphone that goes into China um, has spyware downloaded on it um, by the Chinese telecommunications infrastructure. Um, and spyware on mobile devices uh, have pretty much carte blanche to see the data that you're sending and receiving. While it's, it's encrypted in transit on the mobile device, it can be read. Um, and... That's a significant concern, and that it's happening so widely, and that our State Department has advised on it. Um, I got a briefing from um, the CTO at our client Symantec, who was talking about the precautions he was told to take by various three-letter U.S. government agencies, um, basically not to take a laptop into China, um, that if he did, that he should weigh it going in and coming back out, because often... Um, hardware spying devices are put into laptops there, that uh, you should take a disposable cell phone or at least uh, get rid of a, his GSM card uh, and get a new one when he comes back out. Um, and that's a pretty publicly leveled set of concerns by one of the key leaders in the security industry. So I think China has done a lot that makes us, us paranoid. Um, and I've also heard briefings from Bruce Schneier and you know, other great minds and, and some cautions from you, John, about um, events in China and that what, what uh, the people who are most well-known in security are, are telling me is that uh, what we're seeing is China's C-level hackers, not their B-level or even A-level hackers, but that there are so many... Um, events because there are a whole lot of people and they're practicing on um, websites and business sites in the U.S. because they're freely available and open and have um, important materials in them, um, often with monetary value, and that uh, there is a regular practice of teaching people at certain computer program, computer uh, uh, universities in China uh, about hacking. And part of their homework is to try to hack Western websites. Um, and that's the you know, step up from the script kiddies, the, the C-level hackers. Um, it's assumed based on some attacks like the Aurora attack against Google and eBay and others in the Silicon Valley that there are higher level of, of hackers um, in China that we're not regularly seeing. Um, and then the, the, 
Stuxnet event was uh, pretty telling that lots of uh, probably country-level hacking is going on in the world right now. And all of that's got a a detrimental effect on those of us who are trying to conduct a lot of business over the Internet. Hmm. Well, I know we're we're always struggling, too, as, you know, in in sending that message off to our clients as as well. But why do you think that computer security is is really so difficult to to do well? (laughs) It's a huge... um, (laughs) It's a huge set of problems, and it seems to be growing in scale all the time. And some of the cures for the business problems that we have with with uh, computing and IT you know, scale uh, seems to be made easier with uh, a solution like cloud computing. But um, it, it, I think Sharon's spoken to this in the past, that the cloud computing probably makes your security problems a lot more difficult. Um, and then just the scale of all the data that we're collecting and storing and sharing with other businesses legitimately give more and more opportunities for um, illegitimate um, uses of the data and uh, hacking. Well, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from the Legal Talk Network and our sponsor, Gallivan, Gallivan, and Amelia, creators of the digital war room platform for e-discovery. Do you need to strategize, review and produce documents for litigation, government investigations, or HSR second requests in a single e-discovery tool for every size and every type of matter? Digital War Room eliminates costly pre-processing of collected documents, realizing savings of 80% or more, and giving you greater control over e-discovery. Experience end-to-end e-discovery on your Windows desktop, on your internal network, or in our hosted review center. Download a free trial of Digital War Room Pro at www.digitalwarroom.com. That's digitalwarroom.com. Need to reach lawyers on the go? Try marketing with new media here on Legal Talk Network. We can start the conversation for you. Go to legaltalknetwork.com and shoot us an email or call us at 781-551-9960. Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today we're talking to guest Matt Kesner, and we're talking about the topic, Is It Possible to Secure Law Firm Data? So Matt, you mentioned Stuxnet before we uh, we went for the break. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more and why, why that might have been a turning point for those of us trying to guard businesses? Well, uh, I just know what I've read, um, so I, I'd invite you to to uh, put in your two cents too, John, because I know you're pretty knowledgeable regarding it. But basically, it was uh, appears to be um, an organized nation-state attack on uh, some particular industrial uh, computer-based equipment from Siemens. Um, and it was such a particularized attack, it looks like it was intended to disrupt some um, nuclear facilities in Iran. Um, the, the dangers for those of us in business looking on are that it was um, the most complicated attack that we've seen yet, that it continued to evolve during the almost one-year life of it from the time that a few people got a sense that it was there to, to what it eventually became, and uh, that it was so multifaceted. So what 
I gather from the reports happened is that there are USB uh, thumb drives given out at various events around the world, and there were some given out at a European event to some scientists who worked with and around um, nuclear facilities around the world. The Stuxnet uh, virus was on those USB devices, and when they were plugged into computers, they would seek out um, this particular um, Siemens chipset uh, if it were attached to the network anywhere. And if it wasn't, it just lay dormant. But the danger more than the trying to infiltrate this particular Siemens um, control device uh, to you and me is that it used um, for the first time, a combination of previously unknown hacks on Windows computers. So it used various ways to get into Windows computers and Windows networks to move around them freely. Um, didn't use just one attack, it used several. And then the even scarier part of it was that it uh, morphed during its life. So the early attacks, um, as they became known to various security professionals, were dropped and new so-called day one attacks, meaning previously unknown attacks on Windows, were added. Um, it was scary because it could do that. It was even scarier for me in that it's now a readily available blueprint for lesser hackers to use um, as an attack of method against um, those of us in business. Um, and it was such a big turning point because it really moved the the marker from um, organized crime being behind the, the worst of all possible security concerns to nation states. Uh, and I've, I've seen some of the most impressive security professionals in the world essentially throw up their hands because it was one thing for us to keep out the script kiddies, the, the high school and college age people who would spend time trying to hack things in their spare time. It was still another to try to deal with organized bands of black hat hackers and still another uh, when we realized that organized crime around the world was involved in a lot of hacking. But um, I don't think any of us believe on the, the business side that we have the resources to respond to nation states that, that want to hack. And Unfortunately, it appears that nation states are now exposing a whole new toolkit that's even more dangerous than anything we've seen before. Well, that kind of segues nicely into my next question, which is, is there really some kind of genuine fix for information security? And, I, and I'll tell you in preface that, you know, when I get asked that question, I tell them that they need to spend money and time on the issue, but that in my mind, there is no real fix and, and that the only thing they can do is be constantly ever vigilant. Uh, so I don't know. How do you feel about that? Is there a fix or is it what I said? <laughs> well, I, I think there. There isn't a fix. I agree with you completely that you do need to spend money and time, and particularly you need to train. And probably the most important thing is to find um, some knowledgeable security experts, um, such as Sensei, um, that you can regularly talk with, that can have a dialogue with your business, because what security means today will be very different next month. Um, maybe even very different a couple of weeks from now. And I think most businesses and most IT groups would greatly benefit by having a go-to security uh, team that they can talk with, um, people who are specialized in this. 
Um, I, ultimately, from you know, what I've read and I've seen, the internet wasn't built to be a secure environment. It wasn't built to scale to the millions and perhaps billions of people we have on it now. And without really restructuring the way the internet works to build in trust and identity verification, um, it, it, we are mostly plugging holes. Uh, that said, there are precautions you can take. You can definitely lower your risk if you spend money and time, and particularly if you have some you know, learned folks that you can have help you along. Um, they're good devices. There's a new, for example, new set of firewall-style devices that go well beyond what we can usually do with firewalls and, and internet traffic. And that's important because there are lots of new vectors for security risks. Um, a year or so ago, I would have said that our most important security risks were the internet sites um, and malware, viruses, et cetera, coming in through email. But today, we all have to deal with uh, viruses and malware that come in through Facebook. I haven't seen anything come in through Twitter yet, but I'm sure it's coming. And not that those aren't very valuable services for communication and you know, to be on, uh, upfront about it, we represent both Facebook and Twitter. Um, but it is a new way for um, security breaches to come into your firm, new vectors that we call them in the security business. And you have to have new ways to respond. Um, there are new classes of firewalls that can help with that. Um, changing user behavior can help. Um, letting people understand that as they use more consumer-style devices like iPads and iPhones, that there are new security risks that they're taking on, and that there are security risks visiting various parts of the world. Um, so I think there isn't an answer in that we're not going to solve all of the problems, but there are definitely ways to lower the risk. But it, it sounds a little bit like you're, like me, a little bleak in, in your outlook, uh, but you're not quite giving up on it. Is that right? <laughs> No, not giving up uh, completely or I couldn't come to work every day. I'd, I'd keep the <laughs> pillow over my head and stay under the covers. Um, it, it, while we have this huge risk, I think the opportunity is even bigger. Um, the opportunity that, that we have today to be in two different parts of the United States, to be talking as if we're in a room together, and you know, it's helpful that we know each other so well, um, it, is a great new opportunity. Um, everything that you can do on the internet, um, Facebook, Twitter, uh, crowdsourcing, um, is a great new business opportunity. And you can't shut that down um, based on your worries about security. But you do need to educate yourself regarding the risks. You need to make intelligent trade-offs between risk and reward. And uh, I, I don't see too many ways of doing that the old-fashioned way, which was just hoping that you wouldn't get picked on. Um, you do need to have uh, as up-to-date equipment as you can get, um, but I think even more important is having up-to-date help, um, up-to-date advisors, educating yourself, listening to your podcast, for example, is a great way to educate yourself. Um, talking to people and getting on the blogs. Bruce Schneier is uh, somebody I admire who talks a lot about security in a way that's very useful for individuals and companies. Um, and there are many other people that can uh, that you can get thought leadership from in this space. Um, but the levels of risk are increasing, and it is tougher, and sometimes I do pull out my hair. Oh, I, I, I know, Matt, you're, you're 
constantly every every day worrying about this kind of stuff. But uh, do, do you think you and your firm do it as, as about as well as it can be done? Boy, I'd love to say that. Um, <laughs> well, this is we, this is your opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll make sure your upper management listens to this. How's that? <laughs> That's right. We spent we spent a lot of time on it. We talk with a lot of people, um, uh, a lot of advisors about security. Um, we have regular checks on inside and outside security, uh, formal and informal evaluations. And we try to use the tools that are out there, um, but. We also want to be honest with ourselves and know that um, even if we're pretty good today, we're probably not good enough for tomorrow. We need to be constantly evolving. Um, we've recognized, and I think I've seen several law firms recognize just in the last year that we need someone on our team with security in their title so that at least one, if not their exclusive full-time role, is to think about this. And we need more help from the outside world, um, from folks like you. To, to make sure that we're as up-to-date as we possibly can be. And I think that, that business has probably not done as good a job as it could by trying to um, push vendors, cajole vendors, into being a little more security conscious in the ways that we, we, we know that we should be. A lot of the new consumer devices make that harder rather than easier. And... Um, Cloud computing can make that harder. Uh, I'm grateful to see that there's a new consortium working on that in the cloud space. But uh, we need to start thinking about security more often and earlier on in the product cycle and probably earlier on in the business cycle um, for those of us on the business side. Well, Matt, uh, both John and I want to thank you for joining us today. I, I never talk to you without my fear factor shooting off the charts, uh, but you always have great information and practical suggestions for people. Uh, and we both want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us. Oh, it's my great pleasure. Um, you two are two of the leaders in the, the IT security space that I look up to, and you certainly know your way around law firms and have been very helpful to me and others. So thank you for the opportunity. Well, that does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. And you can find out more about Sensei's computer forensics, technology, and security services at www.senseient.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network. Its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.